welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to continue our series, Your Best Summer Ever. And it's really been a free-for-all. Um, folks have, <laughs> I've invited, as Sarah and I went on vacation, we invited some folks to come and speak and uh, and they just did a wonderful job. All of our messages are online on the podcast. You can check those out if you've missed them. But uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to stay put um, in a topic that I think is really uh, poignant for our uh, life together as a community. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be um, focusing on the invitation of God to us and also the invitation of us to uh, our communities to come and be a part of God's mission, that everybody gets to play. Everybody in the vineyard gets to play. That's a vineyard value and something we hold very dear to our hearts. It's not just the pastors or the staff who um, plan outreaches or do all of the stuff, but we all get to play a part and what it means in bringing life to the city. And so we're going to call this series, Invite Your World. Invite Your World. Jesus extended an invitation to Sarah and I a few years back. Jesus extended an invitation to come and do life with y'all. We had, I had a really comfy job in Augusta, Georgia, and a really posh office, and a boss who loved me very dearly and didn't want to see us go. And an invitation from Jesus came across my desk. And there were these people we heard about. We're from Columbus originally. We didn't think anybody lived north of 270. Like what? There's actually people up there who are doing life? Come to find out there are a group of people doing life past the Columbus ethos. And so in Augusta, Georgia... Uh, Sarah and I, and with the help of a dear friend of ours, Dave Nixon, who was our spiritual director at the time, helped us discern that, Eben, this could be the call of God on your life, on you and Sarah together to go and to live life with this bunch of wonderful ragtag group of people in Cleveland, Ohio, and see the kingdom of God come, the rule and reign of God come and bring life to the city of Cleveland. And so we said, Lord, how could, how could we say no to such an invitation as that? Gently drawing us. We were drawn out of Augusta. We weren't driven out. We chose. We followed the Holy Spirit. We received that invitation, and we came. You all are such a joy. And I don't think that... Um, I don't think that many pastors get that said to their congregations enough, that you are a joy to lead in worship, you're a joy to speak with, to discuss with, to do life with, you are a joy. And so we've been invited into your story. It wasn't a story that Sarah and I started, it wasn't a story that was started when this church was founded. It's a story that's much older than that. It's a story that goes back since the dawn of creation and before. The story of the kingdom of God is a story that is the most significant story on the face of the planet. 
What a story to be invited into. I didn't sign up to be invited in, into the story of being a curator of a museum. I didn't sign up to be invited into a story of a puppeteer pulling all of the strings. I signed up to be a, a pastor, to serve and to do life with every single one of you in bringing the rule and reign of God into our city, into our community. It's a story that's bigger than you. It's a story that's bigger than I. It's a story that's bigger than Vineyard Cleveland. So there's room enough in the story for every single person in this room. There's room enough in the story for every single person in Middleburg Heights. There's, every, there's room enough in the story for everyone in Parma Heights, in Parma, in East Cleveland, in Chagrin Falls, in Avon Lake, in Brook Park, and on, and Brunswick, yes, even Brunswick. There's room enough in the story. There's room enough in the story. It's a story that's so vast. And you, you all invited us into your story. And I just wanted to get said that there's no other story that we would love to be a part of. As we raise our kids, what a joy it's been and will continue to be as we raise our kids with you, young parents in the room, as we raise our kids with your kids. Could there be any greater gift than community? Could there be any greater gift than the story of community? Ah, I'll answer it. No, there could not. <laughs> there could not. There could not be a greater story. So we're going to look like what it, looked, what it does look like to invite your world into the story that God is writing. And we're going to be in Matthew if you wanted to turn that or swipe there with me. Matthew 4. Now this particular passage of scripture is near and dear to my heart, as are others, because um, we're talking about fishermen and the calling of the first disciples. A lot of times, I want us to put ourselves into this story and imagine ourselves in this story as the, as the first disciples of Jesus. That this is a story that's still ongoing, it's still playing out in our world as well. So if you'd imagine yourself in that role as just a local fisherman preparing your nets. You know, there were, there were three kinds of nets back in the day in first century Israel. And there were, you know, maybe five or six species of fish that Peter, Paul, John, all these guys would have made their living off of. And so here, I just wanted to set the scene that this is a very normal, ordinary day in the life of first century Palestine or first century Israel. This is a normal sort of day. Matthew 4, 1. Or, sorry, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, 
for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What does it look like to invite your world into the story that God is writing? Because we, as disciples of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you are, if you are born again, and you claim that Jesus is your Lord, Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus is God, you are called to invite your world into the grand story that Jesus is writing on the face of the earth. What does it look like to invite your world into that story? How kind he is, how good Jesus is, how he heals us, still in the business of healing us. His mercy and his goodness, is there anything better than the adventure of following Jesus? And so the setting here is just that Jesus was out for a walk. He's just taking a walk. But there's something about Peter, there's something about the disciples that catches his heart. There's something about them that catches his eye. And Jesus stops and he talks to them. He just stops and he talks to them. Bless you. You know, they've never met Jesus before. Jesus has never met them before. They, may, they probably have not even heard of Jesus before. But Jesus just stops and talks to them. Jesus isn't uber famous. You know, like Beyonce. He's, he's just walking around. And sometimes, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit next week and the week after as well. Sometimes when we hear a phrase like that, invite your world. Sometimes when we hear a phrase like that, we get afraid. What are you asking me to do here? We get frightened, especially if you're introverted. How many intro? Well, you wouldn't want to raise your hand, would you? <laughs> because that would make you feel uncomfortable. I won't ask you to raise your hand. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think that the church has done a huge disservice to introverts over the years. Because when you hear a phrase like, invite your world, could there be anything more to make your skin crawl as an introvert than hearing that phrase? Invite your world. Come on. Because sometimes, isn't it the case that the church over the years has coined an evangelist as this extroverted white male who goes out to the streets, healed, and they, you know, saving the planet, the great white hope, right? 
And so often when the church does that, we totally do a disservice and overlook at least 40, if not 50% of the people who claim Jesus as Lord. Because Jesus didn't just call extroverted people, Jesus called everybody. The story's big enough for everybody. And so could it be that God has made you just the way you are for a purpose, on purpose, for his purpose? And so you don't have to hear a phrase like invite your world and and think that you need to change who God is making you to be. He's quite happy with who he's made you to be. So during the course of this mini-series drama, my aim is not to change introverts into extroverts so that we can fill the seats and get more people because extroverts do all the work. But rather, could we hear the voice of Jesus calling both of us and everybody in between, saying, come follow me. Jesus saying, come follow me. This story is big enough. It's big enough for both. I would say some of the most powerful people in the kingdom of God are introverts. Mark Marks, who came a couple years ago and taught us healing on the streets model, you know, was part of this church in Northern Ireland over the past few years who saw thousands of people come to Christ, saw thousands of healings in in this little town in Northern Ireland, no bigger than Delaware, Ohio. Hey, Delaware. Thousands of people come to Christ. But if you were to talk to Mark Marks, he would be the first to tell you he has to pray for boldness every single morning when he wakes up. Very introverted person. Very much like not the extroverted Enneagram 7 that I am. Hey, everything's amazing. You want to hang out? You want to hang out with me? You want to hang out? To the introverts in the room, they're like, no, Evan, we don't have to hang out. We don't have to get coffee That's a lesson that I'm learning. Pastor around every corner. Hey, 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 hey. No, no. It's not who God's calling me to be for you. So the the story is big enough for all of us. And this is what I want us to hear in this, is that Jesus was just out for a walk. It was an ordinary day for him. And I think that should bring a lot of freedom to the introverts in the room. It's just just about walking across the room. It's not about becoming someone that you're not. You know, where, where you live or where you work. Just walking over to our friends and noticing people and talking to them. Jesus initiated contact with these people who would later flip the world upside down. Isn't it just so ordinary? Isn't it just so everyday? You know, they're going about their business, tying nets. Would have been maybe, uh, they, he, they said, Matthew says that they were casting the net. They had these casting nets that would take them days to work on, to get ready to finally cast it out into the sea. Just sitting there working on nets. Such an ordinary moment. That's worship. 
This is worship. Romans 12, Paul talks about offering our bodies, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Could there be anything more ordinary? They weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for them. And Jesus is looking for people. And sometimes people, people who are looking for God don't look like people who are looking for God. And it might be, you know, this crazy extroverted kind of thing where the Lord is like, talk to that person. God's like, talk to that person. Talk to him, talk to him. But most times it's not. It's just noticing people, stopping and seeing and noticing people and initiating with them. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton uh, said that everyone who is knocking on the door of a brothel is looking for God. You could expand that to the digital world. Every, every man who's searching for God on a porn site is really looking to find God. There's a hunger in all of us for God. And sometimes people who, aren't, who don't seem like they're looking for God really are hungry. And it's helpful to remember that people are only one encounter away from experiencing Jesus. They're only one encounter away. You know, it could be because you don't know. You, you just don't know people's hearts. You don't know the journey or the struggle that they're in. That's why I say sometimes people who are desperately looking for God are, are a lot of times the ones who don't look like they're looking for him. But Jesus notices people. So he initiates contact. And I think the next thing is, the next thing is that, um, you know, Jesus was never like this, but we're like this a lot. We're afraid we're going to mess it up when we hear a phrase like invite your world. We're afraid we're going to mess it up. What if like, what if I say the thing? What if I say the thing that's going to completely turn this person off to God forever and ever? and damn their soul to hell because I said the wrong thing. Aren't we like that? When we let, and we let it keep us in this box. Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I do. I want to please God. I want to invite my world, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. What if I say the wrong thing, God? I don't want to mess it up. And we put pressure on ourselves, and I just want to take that pressure off of us. Because the truth is, is that when the kingdom comes, when Jesus' rule and reign comes, it's up to Jesus what happens next. It's not really up to you what happens next. And that should be really freeing for the people in the room who say, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. You're not going to mess it up. And a lot of him, a lot of times, we, we put this pressure on our... <laughs> trying to work through this. A lot, of, a lot of times we put this pressure on ourselves and we take ourselves out of the equation. 
Some of you know where I'm going with this already because you've heard this shtick before. Ah, I'm going to say the wrong thing. What if I say the wrong thing to this person and they'll never come back to church? I can't, I can't believe I said that thing. They're, I ruined that relationship. You know, it's this whole song and dance. And we're like, well, okay, if I could just have less of myself in the conversation, well then, you know, Jesus, you would get all the glory. Here we are again. Less of me, God, and more of you. Less of me, more of you could very well be a slap in the face to God who created you. Ah. It's it's all about you, God. It's all about you. I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I'll just keep quiet. Less of me, more of you. Yeah, I, I suppose that could be true. Less of me, more of you. But it's not. That's, that's unbiblical to say less of me, more of you, God. The Bible that I read, <laughs> the scripture that I read says, all of him in all of you. All of him. You, when you come to Jesus, you get everything that was on him. Everything that was on Jesus is now resting in you. In the Bible that I read, does not say less of you. No, it does not. You know who will say less of you? Well, the accuser, for one. The enemy will say it. How dare you show who you really are? Oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. Doesn't sound like the Father, does it? No. Know who else will say it? Religious people will say it. Religious people will say, all of him and less of me. Ba-dee, ba-dee, ba-dee. No. That's the hope. We just sang it this morning. The hope of glory. The fullness of God. The, The fullness of the eternal, of the divine, of the endless. Squished down into our chests. Resting there so that there's a fire waiting to escape. To bring hope and life and peace and freedom and love and joy to the people around you. That's how big the story is. All of him and all of you. Because he created you. He knit, the Bible that I read again, says that he knit you together. Every molecule, every strand of DNA, he formed and said, it is good. Before Jesus did one miracle, God said, in you, I'm pleased. Pleased with what he did? No, pleased with who he he is. All of him and all of you. So let's stop it. Let's just stop it, Vineyard Cleveland. Let's stop saying, oh, it's all God, all of him, less of me. And let's just say, because people who are comfortable in who they are, don't do that. People who know, people who are self-aware and who know who they are, don't say that, ever. They recognize that there is goodness in them put there by the Spirit of God. And they just carry it. Just carry presence. You don't have to hype it, but you don't have to downplay it either because that's false humility. Just be who you are. Just be you. God loves you. God created you. Created you as you are. Just be you. Because the kingdom's on you. His favor rests on you. 
What if it were that he was using the way that he made you on purpose? That he's already, God's already using you. You don't have to hype yourself up, worry about saying the wrong thing, do some great thing for God. But what if the greatest thing that you could do was dream God's dreams over the city, just being you? I would imagine it's so that we would see more people come into relationship with Christ when you are the you that God has created rather than trying to be somebody you're not. I believe that Jesus is calling us to invest in relationship. The call here is to come and do life and mission with Jesus. That phrase there in the scripture that they dropped their nets and followed him. They dropped their nets and followed him. Can you imagine that in our society? This, is, this would be crazy. Drop, drop their nets, dropping everything and follow um, the one that their hearts have been longing for since their first breath. Drop everything and follow him. And I believe that this is the season that we're stepping into as a community. That we'll begin to be, um, that we'll begin to see our community um, drop everything and follow him. To just be who we are and see life brought to the community. The communities around us. And that comes by investing in relationships. I believe that we're going to see a new openness with people. You might say, well, I've invited people to church. I've invited people into the story of the kingdom. I've done that before. I believe. I believe that we're going to see a new season of openness. It's not on you. You can, like, let the pressure go off of, off of your shoulders. It's not on you. What happens next is, is up to Jesus. You know, when Sarah and I lived in Chicago, we lived in Chicago on the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park for three years in this neighborhood. It was around about the time of the 2008 election. So Obama was being elected and he lived in Hyde Park. And so it felt like the center of the political universe. All these cameras here rerouted my way to work. I couldn't walk to work. Then um, also the University of Chicago is there. So these ultra uber smart kids were there at University of Chicago. Most Nobel Peace Prize winners of any university have come from University of Chicago. Super smart. So I, I'm not super smart, <laughs> just to let you. So... Um, <laughs> So Sarah and I uh, would walk a lot of places. We'd walk to work, we'd walk to lunch, have coffee. Sarah would get interviewed by the AP press. <laughs> it, was, it was a lovely time. Um, and a lot of the kids who go to the University of Chicago are, uh, and they know this about themselves, but are very much uh, socially awkward. So a lot of like 
from, you know, walking like this to class. It's cold in the winter. You know, it's straight to class, you know, and then straight back home. And, you know, so I'm super uh, extroverted or whatever. And so after about, like, six months or seven months of this, I was like, well, what are these people having for breakfast? That sounded like a weird question. But I just began to, like, when in Chicago, uh, it's super fast. Um, culture is super fast. So, so I just began when the, when the don't walk sign would come up, and, you know, the kids would be like, come on, come on, people are in my personal, I need to get through, come on, go green, go green. I'd be like, hey, hey, man, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> and... Um, like, who are, why is this guy talking to me? And you know what was funny was, like, uh, they began to, like, answer me, and it led to conversation. This weird thing, oh, uh, like, cereal, I had some eggs. Oh, cool. I, I didn't have, I just had a cup of coffee. I was like, have you been to the coffee shop down the street? Do you want to go there? We could go, like, get coffee or something if you want it. It was really interesting what happened. And wouldn't you know it, not all of these college kids from the University of Chicago showed up at our home group, very few of them. And not all of them came to church on a Sunday, but some of them did. Some of them did. And not all of them had their, you know, lives completely radically changed and altered by, like, Sarah presence in Hyde Park with the Holy Spirit at the Hyde Park Vineyard, you know? Just, like, ordinary thing. Hey, what'd you have for breakfast, man? But some of them did. A few of them had their lives just completely, the trajectory of their lives completely changed, sold out for Jesus, dropped their nets, and followed Jesus. Isn't that how you were invited into the kingdom, to drop your nets and follow Jesus? When we invest into relationship, we see that, like, there's this new openness to the people around us. When we think this way about evangelism, about inviting our world, we see that there is this new openness to give people encouragement, to just give church one more try. Just give it one more try. Who knows? Maybe you'll like it this time. And to trust Jesus with the results, that it's not up to you. And I believe this about our church. I believe that we're stepping into this season and that change is in the air. I believe that we're going to start seeing openness, not in like crazy, it, it could be, but just in our everyday ordinary lives. And seeing a new openness to our friends at work, um, our family. Um, I just believe that. You know, the kingdom of God is what we're inviting people into, this story, right? Like we said at the beginning. And the Greek word, or the Greek phrase for the kingdom of God, in its definition, what it means. When we say at the vineyard, the kingdom of God... We want to be really clear about what we mean when we say, right? So what we mean in the vineyard when we say the kingdom of God, we mean the dynamic rule 
and reign of Jesus. So everywhere the Spirit of God, everywhere that Jesus touches, we can say that the kingdom of God has come to that place. Yes, the kingdom of God is near. And in Scripture, when Paul or when Jesus talks about this central message of who he is, when he uses the phrase kingdom of God in the Greek, it literally means the dynamic rule and reign. Now, when you hear that definition, the dynamic rule and reign of Jesus, I don't hear anything like static about that or boring or like sad. But I hear this like increasing thing. It's always on the move. It's not some painting on a wall that we just at a museum that we just admire, but Jesus is on the move. The dynamic rule and reign of God. It's open, it's inviting, it's active, it's alive, it's all encompassing the kingdom of God. And so we get to not be afraid. We get to not be afraid about who we are and what we carry. You can be you. You can just love people. You can, it's as simple as that. Well, saying it's one thing, doing it's another, isn't it? But could it be that simple that you just let people into your life? Maybe it's, maybe you're, maybe you like baking. Maybe you're a baker. And maybe you like to bake muffins. Maybe you don't like to bake muffins. (laughs) Maybe you like to bake cookies. And you know what? You bake some cookies and you take them over to your neighbor's house. And you say, hey, I bake these cookies and they're for you. And you get into a talk because they like to bake too. And then you invite them over to your house to bake again another day. Could it be as simple as that? You're not going to screw it up. You're not going to do it wrong. In fact, okay, we're, okay. In fact, why don't we say that over ourselves? I'm not going to screw it up. When it comes to um, inviting your world, invite your world, why don't we just say this out loud together? I'm not going to screw it up. Ready? I'm not going to screw it up. Ah, isn't that freeing? Okay, when it comes to inviting people into your world, I'm not going to do it wrong. I'm not going to do it wrong. Ah, Jesus is with you. Jesus is inside you. The Holy Spirit is bubbling up in you. You're part of the greatest narrative, the greatest story that's ever been told. Jesus is with you. Just invite people to journey with you. Just take someone along with you. Ah, How wonderful that is. Because when you're just you, people can get a clear shot at Jesus. 
I mean, how wonderful to think of, like, I don't have to have it all together. Do you know how powerful that is? When you model your flaws and your faults to people who don't know Jesus yet, your weaknesses shine. Yeah. In fact, the opposite, what we do so often um, is, a detra- is it's detraction. We try to like, we try to impress people we don't even like. We try to impress people and, and put a, our best foot forward. And Jesus is saying, put your worst foot forward. I don't want your deadly goodness. Take it to the grave with you. Like, show me some flaws. Show me something that's real. Isn't that what drew you about Jesus, that he was real and he was accessible and you could touch him and feel it? He's like you. God is like you. That's the message of the kingdom, that God is like us. Ah, that's so wonderful. He's not some out-of-touch being who has no, no idea what we're going through but that he's in the boat with us, just like Jesus. So show off your scars. Show off your flaws. Don't put your best foot forward. And people will love Jesus so much because you did. Why don't you join me in standing?